on off from the book of Ephesians. Don't worry. Probably next, uh, maybe two more weeks, we'll get back to Ephesians chapter number five. And I went off on the topic of worship just a little bit. And uh, we're going to continue that tonight. And uh, this is really the most dressed down I've been doing church. I had the teens all day today, and I didn't have time to go home. So I feel a little weird in here tonight wearing tennis shoes on the platform. It just feels a little different. It doesn't feel bad. I'm not saying that. It just feels different. And so um, what are you laughing about back there? At least I didn't get pulled over yesterday. No, I, did I? Ah, I'm just teasing you, Barbara. I'm just teasing you there. And um, Cruz and Allison, do you guys have a good time on your little trip? Those trees, right? I, you know, I've lived in California my whole life, and I've never been to Sequoia National Park. Um, and I was actually thinking, I was really thinking about doing it this summer. And then I saw that you win, and then I'm like, they're just going to think that we copied them. But I had the idea long before you did. But one of these days I'm going to do that. But yeah, those, it just, those trees just look amazing. And it really puts into perspective how little we really are and how big God really is. And if he can create a tree like that, and um, it's an amazing thing. Philippians chapter number two. Does anyone need an outline tonight? Anyone need a copy of the outline? Everyone good? All right. We'll go Philippians 2. Sunday night, we didn't have enough room in here, and tonight we got plenty of room. So, um, Oh, I'll give a couple of announcements real quick before we go any further. This coming Sunday, Father's Day, we got, uh, got found a good gift for all the fathers, so you'll enjoy that. We're having service at 8.30 and at 10 a.m. There will be no 11.30 service, just 8.30 and 10. And uh, the kids are going back to class this week, and so we'll get them out of here. And, uh, and there might be some of you that, don't want, that want your kids, well, I'm looking around tonight. No kids are in the service. But if you're watching online and you'll be here Sunday, if you don't want your kids to go to class, they can stay with you. You do whatever you want to do. It's totally fine with me. But if they sit in here, keep them quiet. No, I'm just teasing. It's all right. And uh, do what you got to do to keep them quiet, right? And uh, bribe them with candy, duct tape, whatever you got to No, not duct tape. That could, you know, do whatever you I'm online. I can't be saying things like that. And uh, so Sunday morning, it'll be at 8.30 and 10. And then Sunday evening, service will be at 6 p.m. We're going to have Lord's Supper this week. We haven't done it in a while with everything going on. Now, there's people out there, how do you have Lord's Supper with COVID going on? And uh, I've got an interesting thing. We'll probably never do this again, but we're going to do it this time. I ordered these prepackaged things that has the juice and the little cracker on top individually wrapped so everyone gets their own and if you don't like that we could just get one big mug and we all just take a drink together and pass it down but i figure you know give it a little bit longer before passing the tray around with all the and you know because the little kids they can't pick out which one they want so they touch all of them we'll just wait on that a little bit longer so we'll see how these little things and you say that's not lord's supper it will work just fine it's covid proof lord's supper and so that will be this sunday night and on Sunday, um, we're going to take a break from the book of Nehemiah and from the books of the Bible, and we're going to focus on Father's Day. And on Sunday, you, and I don't want to steal some of what I'm going to say on Sunday, but we look at it, you look at a lot of the problems we have in our country today and the lawlessness, a lot of the problem is the lack of dads in the life of young people. And it's very important there are several things we need. Number one, in our country, we need God. By far, number one. And I think number two, we need strong homes. And strong homes needs to begin with dad and mom. And so we'll talk about that Sunday morning. And then Sunday night, Sunday morning, all the men are going to get convicted. People ask me sometimes, why do you preach nice messages on Mother's Day, but then on Father's Day you just convict us? Because we need to be convicted, guys. It's a good thing. And, uh, and then Sunday night, and if you were doing all you're supposed to do, you wouldn't be convicted. And, and I'm already convicted, and I still got three more days to finish prepping my message, and I've been convicted all week. And then Sunday night, as we do the Lord's Supper, we're going to just look at our Heavenly Father and just talk about Him for a while. It'll be a good service together. And so that'll be a good thing. And uh, I think that's about it that I'll go into for tonight. And then the following week is our graduations and all that stuff, so... Philippians chapter number 2, we'll dive right in. Philippians 2, verse number 1. The Bible says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercy, fulfill ye my joy, 
that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in the loneliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray the next few minutes that we have this evening together that you would be pleased and you would be glorified. We need your help tonight. And I thank you for your word. I'm thankful for the truths that are found in your word. Help us tonight as we study this passage of Scripture, as we relate and we look at what the real war on worship is all about tonight. We love you. We praise your precious name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We get it all wrong in Christianity today. We fight wars that we don't need to fight, and then we don't fight the main wars that we need to fight. We let our preferences and our opinions trump what the Bible says exactly. Now let me just help you tonight. Personal preferences are a good thing. This is what happens. You have biblical principles, you have Bible standards and preferences. The Bible sets out clear principles for us. With those principles that are laid out in the Bible, what happens is we come up with a standard in our life. These are things that I don't do. Like, I'll give you an example. I've been, uh, Marquis getting married in a couple days, and he and I have been talking quite a bit, and their first kiss is going to be on Saturday. And they uh, say, well, a lot of people don't do it that well. This is the thing. Does the Bible say in the Bible, thou shalt not kiss? I cannot find a verse. And those that are dating could say, it says to greet one another with a holy kiss, right? I don't think there's much holiness there. I think it's more a lustful kiss, but that's beside the point. But... That's the thing, you cannot find in the Bible where it clearly says not to kiss. What you do see in the Bible is that as a couple, as a young couple dating and things, the Bible says you need to abstain from fornication. And so one of the ways for myself and Caroline when we dated, our first kiss was at the wedding altar. Why? Because it made sure we didn't break the Bible principle of not fornicating. Because if you don't kiss, you're never going to fornicate. It just, it's a progression. And so you have standards and you have um, preferences that you have, and they're good things. But sometimes what we like to do in Christianity, and especially in our Baptist churches, we like to take our, pre- our preferences and say, this is what you need to do. And that's not Scripture. There are Bible principles and there are standards, there's convictions in our lives, and we need to have those. If you don't have standards and convictions in your life, you need to get some. They are a good thing. But it's wrong of me to look at someone else and say, they're not as good of a Christian as me, because they don't have the same standard I have in my life. Or they're not as good as me, because I do things differently than they do, and I'm right, and they're wrong when it comes to music and in churches. And this is a common theme and happens a lot. We look and we say, well, that church sings a contemporary music and they have a contemporary worship service. And because I do a more traditional service, I'm more right with God than they are. And what we've done is we don't make the Bible the ultimate judge. We become the sole authority. And since I don't like something, that means that I am deciding what worship is to God and what it's not. And I will, and I've mentioned it before, I'll mention it again. I was very good at defining what was a good Christian based on the music that you had in your church for a very long time. I'm not a compromiser. I wouldn't label myself that. Some people would label me a compromiser, and that's okay. Um, on Friday, I'll be 35, and uh, I'm still a young guy compared to some, but it's kind of a scary thought that um, I'm halfway to 70 on Friday. I just thought about that. Russ, I'm not even halfway to your age yet. And uh, 
getting close. That's a scary, that's a scary thought. That might have, so halfway to, you weren't supposed to mention, Joyce is only 50, she's only 59, she's only, or 49, 39, whatever it is. Yeah, she looks, you don't, but anyways, um, you grow. I'll be pastoring in a few months here for 10 years. And the more you study the Word of God, the more you see this book has to be what we believe and where we stand. And traditions are good. Listening to others and what they've said, and that's a good thing. But the Bible has to be the basis of everything that we do. And it's so important. I want to give you some verses, and we're going to talk about what the real war on worship is about tonight. It's not on what music you have in your church. We were in Psalm 150 last week, and I'll admit in my past I've said that I thought it was a sin to have a beat in church and a drum. You read Psalm 150, and the psalm is talking about praising the Lord, and some instruments that have beaten them are mentioned right there. So that's not exactly right. Then we and we get quiet when we talk about this. Some of you sitting at home might be shaking your head at me. And this is the thing. I don't care what you think. I care about what the Bible says. And I care about being right with the Bible. And there are times, and this is the thing you've got to understand. One of the reasons why I stopped on this topic to talk about it a little bit more, I want to make sure we're biblically based and sound in what we do. And if I for a long time preached something a certain way and studied the Bible long enough to see that I was not right in my thinking on certain things from the Bible, I want to clear it up and let you know that the Bible's right and Brian's opinions in the past didn't conform and line up with the Bible. And so that's why you might hear something like that. Now that should, that should be a good thing. It should be a humble thing. We're all supposed to be growing you get to the point in your Christian life where you think you've got it all figured out, you've got issues because you don't have it all figured out. In a few months, I'll be pastoring for 10 years, and this is, let me just tell you this, I feel I know less today than what I did 10 years ago when I started. In all honesty, 10 years ago, I thought I knew something. I really did. Today, I realize I don't. And maybe 10 years from now, I'm going to feel like I know even less. I don't know. And if I know even less, then we're really in trouble. But I want to give you some things tonight to be a help in your life and to help you in these areas. I just want you to look at the Bible with me. And I think we've got some verses for the screen. But think about what Jesus had to say. John 17, in verse number 20 through 23, Jesus, this is prayer, his intercessory prayer. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word that they may all be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that thou also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and that the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that thou may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them, and, and thou hast loved me. A few weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 2, the Bible says, With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. I am a Baptist. I don't apologize for that. One of the things I loved at breakfast this morning with a few of those pastors that was there, the pastor of Gateway Community just up the street over here, older gentleman, a little rough around the edges, but one thing that he said, he says he comes from an, an Anabaptist background. I like hearing that, rebaptizer, Anabaptist. Baptist had that name. It was given given to us, Anabaptist. And he's like, when the government told me to shut the church down, I said, 
the government doesn't tell the church what to do. He's like, that's a Baptist thing. And, um, and he's like, I would go to jail for it. And I, he's like, I told my wife, if I go to jail for preaching the gospel, leave me there. Don't bail me out. I'll stay there. that's not me. I'd be like, hey, um, Russ, Russ, you know how the Lord's blessed us these past several months? I need to get out. Get me out. And uh, um, we're going to send that shuttle back. I need that money to get pastor out of jail. And, uh, but I am a Baptist. I don't make an apology for that. I believe in the King James Bible. I believe in a lot of things. But sometimes we like to look at others and we think that we're better than them based on what we do. Now, let's make sure we understand something. I'm not talking about those who don't believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and that there's other ways to heaven or that you can be limited or that you have to keep up good works to get to heaven. We're on different playing fields there. But if a church preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ and people get, are getting saved people are getting, and, they're, and they're preaching the gospel... We are all on the same team. We are. Read that verse right there. I think that verse makes it clear. Now, I, be, I don't believe in a, in a one church, okay? I believe in a local church. And there's a difference between the two. And I think if you know me well enough, you know where I stand. But we pick battles with a Calvary Chapel because we might not like their music compared to our music. But if they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and they're preaching Bible, they're not who we should be warring against. But that's who we war against, especially in our Baptist churches. The battle is in the wrong place. God's desire is for all of his children, and we're going to be amazed when we get to heaven, is not just Baptists that are going to be in heaven. There's going to be others whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's going to be a lot of people that were not Baptists like us. And it's going to be an amazing shock to some. But God desires his children to get along. That's what John 17 we read a minute ago. Let's look at Philippians 2 one more time and then we'll dive into things. And I'm running out of time and I haven't even gotten started. If there be any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit... And he bows in mercy, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own thing, things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I want to give you tonight, as we dive in tonight, I want to give you four essentials in this passage to becoming more oriented on others as we dive into the message tonight. And first thing is this, number one, we need to fathom the excellence of what we have. We need to fathom the excellence of what we have. Look at verse number one there. If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercy, and we see all these different phrases, what happens a lot of times is we as Christians forget all that we have in the Lord. And sometimes we look there and we see that word if, and sometimes when we hear the word if, we think of doubt, right? Well, if that's the case, but what Paul is doing here is he's actually expressing certainty. He's really saying, if such and such is true, and I know that it is, and since it's true, this is how you need to act, found in verse number 2. And so we need to fathom the excellency of what we have. Every Christian, regardless of their praise preference, has received blessings of God. And Paul points to this. And since you've been given this, shouldn't you grant grace to those you come in contact with? That's what the Bible's talking about here. Number one, we fathom the excellence of what we have. Number two, we fulfill the expectations of what we must do. So since we've been given so much, we're supposed to fulfill the expectations of what we must do. What is that? Look at verse number two. Fulfill ye my joy. 
that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. We must do something with what's been given to us from God. Paul points out that since we've been given so much, shouldn't you grant grace to others and promote peace and embrace unity? Think about this, letter A. We need to resolve to pull together. This is a very strong appeal to unity. You see that there, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. To be like-minded literally means to think the same thing. To have the same love means to get our feelings and our, con- our, our unconditional commitment to the Lord. And to love one another even if we don't like someone. You should love all Christians because Christ loved them enough to die for them and He's done so much for you. Resolve to pull together. Letter B, resist selfishness. Look at the beginning of verse number 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. That phrase, vainglory, you can think of selfish ambition. Strife that comes from self-promotion and a competitive spirit that destroys unity by dividing the church into groups and cliques and camps. That's what it's talking about right there. Selfishness and pride are the root of every sin. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Hey, we're better than them because this is the way we do this. Vainglory. Letter C. Remember the need. Uh, letter C. Regard others as more important. It says there, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. This is a tough one because a lot of times we don't like to look at others and count them better than ourselves. We like us. We like the way we like to do things. And if someone doesn't do it like me, there's something wrong with them. But there goes your vain glory. And in lowliness of mind, You're supposed to esteem other better than themselves. It's very powerful. A great example of that would be um, Abraham and Lot. Genesis 13, verse number 8, the Bible says, And Abraham said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdsmen and thy herdsmen. For we be brethren. In all honesty, who is going to be the greater one of the two? Abraham. Who had more? Abraham. Who was the bigger Christian out of the two? Abraham. Great example of what we're reading here. Regarding others as more important. And Abraham said, we're brethren. There doesn't need to be strife between us. Why are we fighting with one another over petty problems? Let there be no strife. Let's get this figured out. Great example of that there. Number letters D. Remember the needs of others. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. To look is to fix one's attention on with great interest. Some of us need to take our eyes off of ourselves and literally look at someone else and be there for them. One problem that this virus has created in a lot of people and i'm not saying being careful and different issues health issues all that i'm not saying and i'm not going against any of that but what has happened is we've become consumed with self and we forget about everybody else look not every man on his own things but every man also on the things of others that's what Christ did. Let, that, let this mind be in you. Because this is how Jesus lived his life. This is important for us. You see, number one, as we look at this, we've got to fathom 
the excellency of what we have. Number two, we need to fulfill the expectations of what we must do. And number three, we need to follow the example of Christ and how we live. Aren't you glad that we don't have to come up with our own roadmap on how to become a mature Christian that's given to us in the Word of God? We don't have to wonder how God wants us to live because Jesus lived the life He wants us to live. The Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This means that we are to set our minds on our Master and to emulate Him and His example. As I continue and as we've looked at worship here over the past few weeks, I wanted to talk tonight about the real war on worship or the real worship war. And you could type online, there are many books that have been written. And Caroline asked me, Did you get, are you talking about a certain book? And I've read part of the book. Some of the book is good, some of the book is eh, whatever. And that happens with a lot of different books you read and different things. And you can just type worship wars online. You can have all sorts of stuff come to you all day long. But I'm going to give you a few things. I want you to to think about this. I'm going to read a little bit for you and some history of some things. A lot of times we talk about music in church and things. And in a minute we're going to get off music completely. We're going to talk about what the real issue is. And we'll get there in just a moment. But do you realize the first few hundred years of Christianity after Christ died on the cross, the book of Acts, going forward till about the 300s in that time. There was great freedom in the area of music. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, first off, the first thing that you know is look in the Bible and look at what it has to say in the New Testament about how you are to conduct your music in church. This tells you you're supposed to do psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's where it ends there. About, till about the year 300, I would say probably about 320, 350, somewhere in there. What happened was people were discouraged from singing as they used to. And it became more of a performance-based thing. And in fact, not long after that, church singing was almost completely stopped. And it became a chanting that would take place. And, and, that, was, and that went on for over a thousand years. And a lot of that had to do with the Catholic Church and things. And really, if you're looking at it and looking at the history of music and in church and you look at it, it really didn't change much till the Reformation. And we think of a young man at that time named Martin Luther. Not Martin Luther King. I, some of you might have thought of him there. And, uh, but Martin Luther. He was a monk. He was a, he was a Catholic. He ended up getting saved. And one of the songs is in our songbook. He wrote that song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And a great song that a Lutheran wrote. And what happened was, he had a music background, and Luther started writing songs about his personal experiences with God, and brought in, and instruments were kind of out of the picture for almost a thousand years. And really, you go into a Catholic church much, there's not much music there, instruments. And maybe more today than what they're, but they're not a lot. And so he started bringing musical instruments back, and the congregation was invited to sing the songs as well. And, but this was a very controversial thing. And around this time is when organs would start to be used. But organs were a worldly type of music, so they didn't want that accepted in the church house. A couple hundred years later, a 15-year-old by the name of Isaac Watt, ever heard that name before? And uh, we sang a song on Isaac Watt. We sang a song of his on Sunday, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. There are many songs that he wrote. But he was turned off by stuffy church music of his day. And he finally, his dad told him and said, if you don't like the music, then you find, you come up with something better. He wrote his first song before the evening service that Sunday. He had this idea that music should stir the soul and be plain, personal, and powerful. He also wrote Joy to the World is another one that he wrote. And then we sing Joy to the World at Christmas time. But in all honesty, it's not really talking about Christmas. It's talking about the second coming of Christ. 
but I'll sing it at Christmas. I think it's good to sing then, and I'll sing it other times. He wrote a lot of powerful songs, but do you know something that's very interesting? He wrote over 600 hymns. A lot of people didn't like it. They hated his music. In fact, they called his hymns Watts Whims, is what they called them. And congregations split it on the fact that they should use his hymns or not. One article that I read talked about it took about 100 years for his hymns to be accepted because technically they thought he paraphrased Scripture too much. Kind of interesting. Later that same century, two brothers kicked things up another notch, John and Charles Wesley. They believed that the only way to reach the common person was to give them music that they could relate to. Charles wrote 6,500 hymns. That's crazy to me. Um, a couple of them, Christ the Lord is risen today. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Fanny Crosby, we love her music, don't we? She introduced the world to a new form of, it was called gospel music, with titles like Redeemed, How I Love to Proclaim It, To God Be the Glory. And we appreciate the almost 7,000 hymns that she wrote. We don't sing all 7,000 today, but I think you get the picture of what I'm trying to say. But do you know people in her day claim that her songs and her hymns were heathenistic dance music? People boiled over in anger and churches split over Fanny Crosby's music. In 1865, William Booth believed that the way to reach the lost was through music they loved, so he adopted popular tunes and gave, Christ, gave them Christian lyrics. And he's the one who said this, why should the devil have all the best music? And uh, black gospel music was criticized in churches for many years. And if I want to be super honest, there are a group of Baptists out there that like to stick and go away from beats because they didn't like black gospel music. And it's actually got some racist roots in that, if we want to be honest about it. And if you don't believe me, I can show you stuff later and let you just see for yourself. And then Southern Gospel music came along. And a lot of churches didn't like Southern Gospel music with its beat and other things. Not in our church you're going to do that or play that. And then there was a guy by the name of uh, Larry Norman who was committed to reaching people with music, and I think this would be more of your uh, Calvary Chapel, that age. And he tried to bring guitars and drums into the church and was highly criticized. Some even call him the father of Christian rock. I don't know if I'd want that name. But he referred to himself this way. He said, I'm just an artist reaching toward heaven. And what happens is I read... A very interesting article in a, um, it's an old article, and I want to read part of it for you by a guy by the name of John um, Fisher. He's a singer and songwriter. He wrote this several years ago, What to Do About the Worship War. This is what he said, Never before, at, at least in my lifetime, has worship been more important to Christians. And never before has it been so complicated, complicated and tentative as people shuffle from church to church, seeking the right blend of worship experience for their family in what seems like an endless zero-sum game. Many people go to church today more to experience God than they go to hear about Him, and that experience they define as worship. The bad thing is that each person now becomes the sole and final authority as to what worship is. In effect, worship becomes what connects with me. What I like and understand is what ministers to me. That's not right. But that's how we base it with God. You like a certain style, so God likes that too, so it's all okay. That's not biblical we wage war with people 
in this area of music when they're not the ones that we need to be battling. I want to talk to you for the last little bit of time. We're out of time, but i got to get through this tonight. Marquise, it's his last service down there. Let him to stay down there with the kids till 8 o'clock. It'll be fine. No big deal. I want to give you what the real war is all about tonight. The real battle is not with other Christians and what music they have in their church. The real battle tonight is with society, Satan, and self. That's the real worship war on our hands. Number one is the war with society. We could call this the war out there. In our sin-soaked society, where sin is okay, where an alternative lifestyle is praised, where entertainment supposedly fixes every problem in our world, we must crave the Word of God and not cave to this world. This world and the world philosophy, that's the problem. That's society. We're not at war with people, but we're at war with a society. And if you don't see it today in everything going on around us, you've got rocks over your eyes. It's an amazing thing to me. You look at this virus. The past couple days in California, our hospital numbers have gone up. Now, just stick with me for a minute. They've gone up quite a bit. Week, two weeks ago, hospital numbers, the regular hospital number was 2,900. Today, it's 3,400 in two weeks' time. What has changed and what happened two weeks ago that could drive those numbers up? Oh, there's thousands of people protesting all together. But there's not a word about that anywhere. What you hear is, testing's gone up, and that's what's leading to it. Don't talk about the protesters. They can have thousands of people protest, but don't put more than 100 people in the church house. And if we find one case that's been in your church house, everyone everywhere is going to know about it. Society doesn't like church. Society is against the things of God. Our culture does not like God. And I think it's evident around us. And what I want you to understand is this. While we live in this world, we are not to be like this world. James 4.4 4 tells us, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. The Bible tells in the book of 1 Corinthians how the wisdom of this world, it's foolishness. That's this world's wisdom. And our society today, all the things that take place around us, it just shows us the fact, the foolishness in this world. It's amazing to me. A Christian can kneel at a as a football player and have everyone ridicule him for kneeling to pray. But you can kneel for the flag and get praised for it. There's something backwards. And that's the way, and that's where our war is today. Don't ever lose sight of that. The Bible tells us, and he tells us in Colossians 2.8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. The Bible tells us in James 1.27 that we're supposed to be unspotted from the world. 1 John 5.4 tells us that for, whoso, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. You want to know how to overcome the world tonight? The way we do battle with our society, the way we win that battle, it's done through faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. That's what we need tonight. You see, number one, we're at war with society. Number two, this is the real worship war. Are you ready? We're at war with Satan. Yes, we're at war with Satan tonight. 
The war is not between those who want traditional worship and those who want contemporary worship. The real war is with the enemy who would do us by dividing us and rendering us ineffective by, bitter, by bickering and fighting with one another. Think about how Satan was and the things that he did back in the day. Ezekiel 28, verse 12 through 17, we see what took place in heaven. Son of man, take up lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardis, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, and the, and the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, the gold. The workmanship of thy tablets and thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created, till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee with violence. And thou hast sinned, therefore I will, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. And I will destroy thee, O covered cherub, for from the midst of the stones of fire thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Satan, see how beautiful he was. You see, and the Bible tells in the book of Isaiah, in chapter number 14, verse number 11, it says, Thy pomp has brought thee down to the grave, and the noise of thy vials, the worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. Satan was so full of pride that had brought him down. And ever since he was taken out of heaven, Satan and his minions have an agenda for revenge against God to make people not worship God, but worship Him. What do you think the end's going to be all about? As we see and we look around us, and it's kind of interesting to me, you look at, um, think about our, if you get policemen out of the way, and you get rid of this, the idea of America, it'd be very easy to get a one-world government in place. Very quick and easy. A one-world government's what's needed so the end can all play out. Could it be that that's where we're headed right now? And if that's the case, even so come, Lord Jesus. I'm ready for him to come. And maybe that's not the time and where it's at. But as Satan does what he does with the Antichrist and all these things that take place, he's going to go into the temple and he's going to be worshipped as God. That's what he wants. Satan wants to mess with the people of God. And that's what his goal is. His goal is to mess things up. And how does he do this? He does this through three areas. First of all, Satan attacks the person of God. Satan said this, I will be like the Most High. That's what was in his heart. And since he failed in his attempt and was cast out of the presence of God, Satan and his evil angels are set on attacking the person of God. Do you realize that in the Bible, at least 56 times, Satan is called our adversary in the Bible? It was pride that caused his downfall, and it's pride that makes him continue his adversarial attacks on the Almighty. Satan attacks the person of God, letter B. He attacks the purposes of God. Oh, I think those are a little... Go back to... So A is supposed to be, and I probably messed that up on there for J, or it was J, or let's see, A was the person of God, B was the purposes. People see. That's C. So A is, A is person, B is purposes, C is people. And is that all the stuff in your notes there? A is person. Yes, person. P-E-R-S-O-N. B, purposes. P-U-R-P, okay, you got it, Russ, there? I'm just glad to see you're still awake tonight. That's a good thing. And so, person, purposes, and people. Is that it for the notes in there? All the, oh, I got number three. Okay, so you can just hold on until I get to number three. And I'm going to go back and talk about, I talk about the person. 
Talking about how Satan attacks the purposes of God. Satan is opposed to everything that God wants to accomplish today. Do you realize that? As God's word is proclaimed, Satan does not want God's word proclaimed today. Satan does not want the people of God to do the purposes of God. Satan does not want the gospel to get out. And what's one of the ways that he, what's one of the things that he does? He uses our fighting with one another. Because if the love of Christ is in us, we're going to get along with one another. But when we focus on certain things, it pulls us away from our purpose. Remember on Sunday morning how we talked about Nehemiah and the people? How could you have so many different people do a they, they had their purpose right? And we've mentioned our purpose to exalt the Savior, to edify the saints, and ev- evangelize the sinner. That's our purpose. And in fact, that is every church's purpose, a Bible-based church, that should be their purpose. But we come consumed with attacking others based on the things they do. We're letting Satan sow discord. And he takes us away from the purpose. When a church gets so bent out of shape on every little... And let me just say, there are things to stand against, and we know that, and you know where I stand. And if someone's not preaching on Christ, there's, yeah, they need some help, okay? There's lots of other areas I can get into tonight. But Satan doesn't like the purpose of God. Satan does not like to see people get saved, does not like to see the Word of God move forward. Satan doesn't like it. And Satan, he attacks the people of God. And he also, do you have a letter D, or do you only have C? Okay, there is a D. Satan attacks the praises of God. But Satan attacks the people. You think about that? And uh, I must have just forgot to put A in the notes I gave Jay. I think that's what happened there. It happens. I was with the teenagers listening to a sermon and writing out my notes at the same time. That's, uh, that doesn't always work out the greatest, but the past three days, you've got to do what you've got to do when you've got to do it. So, But Satan, he attacks the person of God. He attacks the purposes of God. He attacks the people of God. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. And Satan, he attacks the praises of God. Satan hates it when the people of God praise him. When we sing to God, Satan hates it. Satan hates when we sing our psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and that melody in our heart starts working. He hates it. He wants nothing to do with it. He hates it when we sing in unison together and sing praise to God, he despises it. He hates the name of Christ being lifted up. He hates it. Think about it. Music is not a preparation for warfare. Music is spiritual warfare. When God's people sing together, we invade the devil's territory. And he doesn't like it. When we're seething with anger instead of singing with adoration, Satan gets happy about it. Satan likes it when he can get us to argue and not sing. Satan wants us to split over music. He wants us to be critical of someone else's music. He wants us not to accept someone else's music. Satan wants us to get the idea that music equals worship. And I mentioned last week, music is a part of worship. But being a living sacrifice, that's where worship begins. Satan hates the things of God. How do we overcome society? By faith. How do we overcome Satan? Resist the devil. Or you think about submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. And lastly, number three, in our war, the war with self. We must do battle within. Many debates about worship are in many ways of talking about, are indirect ways of talking about ourselves, not God. You ever get into a good debate with someone about something spiritual on Facebook? I don't like to debate, debate with people. 
Because this is what happens. And I hope that some of you out there are watching tonight that like to debate, debate people on Facebook and you need to stop. Because at the end of the day, all you're doing is promoting yourself. You're not promoting God. You're promoting that you know everything and you're right in every area. That's why I very seldom debate with anyone. Because it's not about me. Now there are times where I will put a comment or two, or I do it privately to them. Not openly. But it's not about, but this is the thing, the battle with self. In worship, God is asking us to do something that we are uniquely designed to do, but at the same time, our sinful nature rebels against. Society and Satan are my enemies, but my other enemy is my flesh. Why? Because Worship's kind of like a wrestling match. We're selfish. We're prideful. We want the praise. We want the worship. That's our flesh. Just as we have a war with society, and we have a war with Satan, we have a war with self. How do we, def- how do we win the war against self? Romans 12.1 I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Church, tonight, I propose to you that our real war tonight, there's three things we war against. Society. How do we overcome society? Our faith. Faith overcomes the world. We're at war against Satan. How do we win the battle? Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. I propose to you that we're at war with self. And how do you get through that? By presenting your bodies a living sacrifice to God. See tonight what the real war is? That's the real war. We as God's people need to get along. We need to quit thinking we're better than other people based on what music is played in our church. That's not Christian, and that's not how Jesus acted, and not how he expects his children to act. But may I remind you of something, we are at war. And every time we let every little thing divide us, you know what we're doing? We're letting Satan get the victory. And anything he can do to divide the people of God, that's what he loves to do. And the verse we read tonight as we began, the Bible said, if the Lord's done so much for you, which he has, then you can do what you're supposed to do. And you can be of one accord, in one mind, have the same love. You can um, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, you can esteem others better than yourself. And you can look not every man on your own things, but you can look on everyone else and their needs. And that's how Jesus lived, and that's how Jesus expects us to live. And that's truth right there. And if that twists your Baptist pipe the wrong way, then deal with it. Because I'd rather do what the Bible says than do things my way. Father, we love